Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the conversation. My name is Chad. This is the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is a a special episode, um, just special meaning that we recorded it today. We're releasing it today. This is an immediate conversation about leadership in crisis, in times of crisis. This is recorded, uh, you know, two or so weeks into the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic here in the United States. But we also have a guest joining us from Italy, Davide, who I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna attempt his last name. Uh, he says it in the beginning of the podcast and, and does it justice, uh, which I will not be able to do. Um, anyway, we talk a bit about how to show up as a leader in a time of crisis and specifically this time of crisis and what the opportunity is for us as leaders right now. Let's get into the conversation. Well, let's get rolling. Are we? Are you good on your end, Davide? Yep, I'm tracking pretty close, and I see everybody well. I, I hope the my the my connection will stabilize, you know, pretty soon. But you guys look very good, <laughs> at least to me. I don't know for anybody else. <laughs> yes, well, we want to thank you for being here just for that. Yeah. All right. All right. That was easy. well welcome everybody to the conversation the naked leadership podcast this is a space where we get to have conversations unbridled unheld back about leadership we're talking about the things that leaders don't normally get the opportunity to talk about Uh, i'm here with my good friends adrian kaler and dan tacchini gentlemen hello 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 we also have a guest today davide davide you're gonna have to help me with your last name yeah, it's uh, Zaccariello, which is uh, pretty Italian. If you Zaccariello, yes. Well, uh, well, Zaccariello. Zaccariello è più bello. Well, Davide is joining us from Italy, which is such an interesting conversation for us to have at this moment in time. And I'm so grateful to have you on here for your time, for your generosity, and also for your perspective. Um, you know, in this, the topic of this podcast, this episode is leadership in crisis, um, or, or being a leader in the time of a crisis, uh, or change even change is another way to, to talk about what we're experiencing. Um, so thank you for being here. Do you mind giving us just a quick introduction to yourself, what your work is and, and, uh, um, kind of maybe even from your perspective, the state of Italy right now. Okay. Um, so, um, I have been working in, in, you know, training and coaching since like 25 years. And I began with Dan Tacchini right there. You know, you can see his face. He was much younger. He was much taller, blue eyes. You know, it was a very nice guy, long hair. You know, it was interesting. Man. And now I'm, now well, I'm now Benito Mussolini. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay. So I, I kind of started to work like that and, in, and, and I was doing trainings with Dana and in the, in the same time I was working with an association in Italy that was working with marginalized people in prison, hospitals and uh, all the down and under, you know, and I was re-education and reintegration. That was kind of my, my service to the government. And I worked uh, in few prisons and uh, one of the um, psychiatric prisons also, you know, was actually one of my best experience with crazy people, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, growing in that, in 2005, I started to work with businesses and I moved into the executive coaching and training. And, uh, and then I started to work with, uh, as an adjunct in a, in a Hushridge Executive Education Business School in England, in UK. So now uh, my, my work now is, uh, 
it's on both sides. Basically, it's on the executive side and it's on the human side, humanistical involvement. And I wouldn't call it anthropology. I would just call it just uh, get involved in relationships. Basically, that's really a specialty, communication and relationship. So, um, even, you know, you're talking about leadership in crisis. You know, in my story, uh, I've been moving from Italy to Switzerland to Bulgaria to many different areas of, of the world. And so, I've, you know, times of change, I've been, I would, I would, I would say that's my, my life, you know, you know, because I've been changing, you know, quite a bit in the last uh, 20 years. Yeah, I would change the place where I live, the place where I work, and people, you know. So I'm pretty used to change in my leadership. So that's a kind of an interesting time now because in Italy here is not only a time of change, but it's a time of terror, you know, because there's, a, you know, this situation kind of broke up in a month, you know. A month ago, with no, no, nobody was even thinking about it. And now, and now we're all in this lockdown, basically, you know, that it's stopped everybody everywhere. And, and the informations are quite, you know, contradictory. You know, there's some people say, oh, it's going to be all right. Oh, this is nothing. And some people are like, no, this is like the end of the world, you know. So there's, there's a lot of perspectives coming to one place. And, and, uh, and uh, we are bombarded by information. You know, you, you, you may see fake news, news, and all kinds of things. that uh, It's kind of a melting pot of information that people are exposed to because they're always at home trying to look for the, for the truth in this uh, situation. And, um, and so I see a lot of uh, uncertainty and a lot of fear. And, uh, and at the same time, people are saying, you know, don't worry, it's all gonna be all right, you know? And, and that's the most amazing thing for me because, you know, that, that approach as not don't worry, it's gonna be all right, is an approach that, you know, seems like a hope, you know, it appears like hope. But at the end of the day, it's just let's wait for somebody to do something about this. And that's the most scary part because I believe uh, it's not going to be all right or it's going to be what it's going to be, it's whatever it is, you know, and we don't even know what that is. So let's get, you know, my perspective, even when I talk with people around here, is more like uh, let's be ready for anything and let's be in what it is right now, which in bottom line, in Italy, we are not prepared for something like this, but not only for the COVID-19, more for the health system that uh, is getting into a collapse because too many people are going there all together. So, you know, it has to do with a lot more than just the COVID-19. And, and, and here, basically, we were not ready for a crisis like this size, and we were not ready to lead the world, actually, with numbers in a crisis like this, you know. So uh, now we find ourselves uh, at the beginning of the list, you know, with like around 70,000 people infected, with 7,000 deaths, you know, and people, you know, and the number is growing, and uh, nobody knows where it's going to go. Uh, and and, and, and the, the other funny thing is that the other nations, everywhere else, is kind of catching up with us, you know. At first, it was very interesting to look at, at the opinions about Italy, you know. Somebody said once, you know, Chinese invent is like spaghetti. Chinese invented it and Italians are spreading it out to the world, you know. <laughs> so that was kind of the joke that was going around and it was very interesting, you know. Somebody said, you know, but Italian wants to have a siesta, that's why they're doing this, you know. So th there was a lot going on. And it, <laughs> Are you saying it's not true? <laughs> well, I love siesta, you know, no problem. You know, I love that. <laughs> well, for a while, and when I want to do it. But you know, at, at the end of the day, there's a lot. There was a lot of um, sarcasm around about Italy in this context. Now, now the sarcasm is turning into fear, and and it's very interesting how you know uh, 
like a domino effect, you know, the, 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 the domino that is down there is laughing at the domino that is beginning to fall at the beginning. But in fact, that, that thing at the beginning is going to reach out to them pretty soon. So that, that, that being said, you know, this is actually, I think COVID gave us, uh, I call it the gift of despair. Because, you know, we, we are in a place of uh, helplessness and powerlessness. And, and being in this place, you, you realize how much being in control was just an illusion and, and how much you thought you were in control until things were going in the way you preferred. Now that things are not going the way you prefer, now you feel like in the drift of something else that is deciding for you. And that's really, that's really I believe, you know, we've never been in control. And, and this is just a wake-up call for everybody to say what you're doing now, not what you're going to do tomorrow. Because everybody knows now that tomorrow nobody knows how it's going to be. So, you know, the point is, what do we do now? That's the gift of uh, COVID-19, you know. What do I do now? And that's the leadership that, that you're talking about. Because unless you take leadership of your contribution to your condition, you are going to be led by somebody else. And one more thing I want to say, because today I read an article that this lockdown, you know, uh, in Africa may produce more deaths than the coronavirus because the lockdown means nobody goes to work and they're on the verge of poverty. So a lot of people will get into poverty and a lot of people will die of starving because of the lockdown, not because of the virus. And here we are, the solution that produces more problems than the problem itself. It reminds me of the prohibitionism in the States, you know, when, uh, when they, they, they didn't let anybody use alcohol, all of a sudden you have the racket, you have the corruption, you have a lot more problems on top of the problem. So I believe the solution that we're given might, might create some problems in the long run, but uh, I don't know, you know, uh, really. The beauty of this thing is that, you know, there's no way to predict, you know, how big and how far this would go. Yeah, yeah, that's um there's a lot there. Um one of the things that really stuck out to me as you were as you were chatting about that and I, and it stuck out to me last night. We had the opportunity to touch base last night on this conversation and one that we have coming up in a couple of days uh, or I guess tomorrow. Um yeah. but this idea that um leaders often want to go to hope. Uh, there, there seems to be an unspoken or maybe even explicit idea that as a leader, your job is to give your people hope. And um, I think it's, you know, this conversation you're having about despair and despair maybe being the gift, the greater gift um, is, is really interesting to me. I'd love to talk, I'd, I'd love to hear you talk more about that. What, what, why do you say that despair is, is a gift uh, you know, in, in this and any other, you know, I think about, I think about other leaders we know of in, in times of crisis and, um, how this might apply to them and how they were successful in leading people. I think Dan, you brought up in a training that we had two weekends ago, Molly Brown on the Titanic and the leadership that she showed in the organization and how intentional she was and what a despairing situation. There was very little hope in that situation. Yeah. Um, and, and I wonder, I, I just wonder, and I'm fascinated by this idea, idea Davide, of, of the despair being the gift. Well, let, let's look at what you're saying about leaders um, think that they need to give hope. You know, I think the way you, you presented it is more like leaders want to keep calm, you know, want to be, keep people <laughs> under control. That's right. <laughs> because if, you, if they lose control, they think they're lost with uh, the control, you know. And I, 
And I believe that's the first mistake, you know, trying to, to sedate the problem, trying to, trying to make it smaller than it is, you know. Um, it's interesting, you know, because Boris Johnson in England, you know, the first, uh, the first thing that he said uh, when he came out, he said, you know, you guys are on your own. A lot of people are going to die, but you're on your own. And I was talking with a friend from England. After that speech, everybody locked themselves in the house by themselves. In Italy, they're forced by the law to be locked in the house. And nobody wants to go in the house. Everybody wants to stay out, you know. So the point here, you know, there was something about responsibility that Johnson, I don't know if he did it because of that. I'm, I'm not, but I'm just uh, observing the reaction of people when they've been told you're on your own. They immediately take responsibility of their life when they're told to what to do they try to to break the rules you know they try to go around the rules you know so the point seems to be you know uh, are we are we a leader that wants to think for everybody or are we a leader that promote personal responsibility and that's the first thing you know to promote personal responsibility is to allow oh we got them yes they're dying you know you, you broke Say that again. You broke up. Sorry about that. It's like you know, uh, when I was working in the hospital, there was uh, people. They had a relative that was dying of cancer, and they didn't want to tell the relative that he was dying. So everybody was pretending that he was not dying, you know, because uh, nobody wanted to confront the death of the situation. And I believe, you know, by doing that you end up being alone and, and you end up being conscious of what's going on. And you need to have the, I mean, I, we need to give people the dignity of choosing for themselves yeah. in situations yeah. like this. And it seems like that a leader like that takes away the dignity of personal responsibility. Well, it's an interesting thing. Kierkegaard said that despair is the disease that destroys and the disease that saves. So I think a lot about this because if, if you think about it, it, it does represent death. And, and if you take it to its most archetypical, you know, symbol, it's death, right? And what does death do? Well, it ends the end, it's the end of our hopes. It's the end of our days. It's the end of another chance. It's the end, right? And I think um, despair is, the un, is that unwillingness to let go of the expectation of tomorrow. Right. Mm. And so we, I, you know, we tend to go into the despair and he says it's the disease that saves because it dry, it saves us when we let go of that expectation of tomorrow. When we die today to what we have, then today it saves us because it brings us back to this moment with each other. It brings us back to who will we be right now since this is all we really ever had. And this is all we really have right now. I know for me, it's been, it's uh, a lot. I've gotten a lot of calls. In fact, I've noticed a lot of my coaching calls have shifted the nature of the coaching calls. I don't know, Adrian, I started to talk to you about this yesterday, but I felt like it was more of a just a clearing for people to look into the moment, like they come out of what we're going to have tomorrow is, you know, is my 401k going to grow? Is, is my investment going to grow? Am I going to get it, you know, into like, who, who are we going to be today with the people we're at home with, the you know, on, when we get online with people, I mean, it's pretty amazing we can talk like this. This is beautiful. I mean, you know, 100 years ago or you know, 20 years ago, we couldn't do this. But, but I mean, can you imagine it, if you didn't have this, then you have even less connection, right? But the craziness that you're talking about, I think people want to push it down when a lot of our work is looking right into it. Yeah. yeah because, go ahead, Dan. 
No, 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 go, eight. It came up to me, <clears throat> came up for me twice yesterday. Um, once uh, with an, ex oh, both, both with an executive, one in the business context, one in the personal context. And we're really talking about this principle, David, which I think is really powerful around what do we entertain about the future? Because one thing we can entertain, like be entertained by is hope. And one thing we can actually be entertained by is despair. Um, if you if we want to put it that way, like, you know, and, and entertained, maybe it would be like actually something, I don't know, uh, Dan, you probably got the etymology of the word, but something that we can actually be. Yeah, the word is to be diverted, entertained comes from the word divitire in, in Italian, I know, but in well, so it means to be diverted. Yeah, from what, I, what I mean is then something deeper than that, something that we could actually be taken in by, like be inspirited by or taken. Com captured, compelled, yeah. Yeah, because in in the first conversation yesterday, we were he's in the middle of this negotiation, and it's a powerful negotiation. It matters a lot to him and his company. And as he was entertaining or thinking about how to talk about it, we talked about laying out the picture. If we don't do something massive, if we don't do something serious, then laying out all the terrible things that are going to come. And we, we call it the parade, of the parade of horribles, which is like, if we don't take, if we don't take action, necessary action, here's how bad it's going to get and to walk it out really in its severity. Um, and he, this guy innately did that in a previous conversation. I said, you ought to go further. Um, but, he, but he didn't want to, you know, really touch at all, but you know, you ought to go further and talk about if we don't do this or if we do it this specific way, let's talk about really, how terrible it could get, which, you know, which ought to be in a business, in a business context, uh, it ought to be, oh, we're going to shut our doors and how many people will lose their jobs and how many families then will not be able to eat and how many children will be left, blah, 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 like all that. And that motivated him. Right. And, and can be really powerful in a negotiation. But then the second one came up with an executive, but actually was a personal context. We was talking about his mother who's across the country in New York city. And she doesn't want to leave her apartment. She has a nice house, you know, in the Hamptons. And she won't leave. And she doesn't even want to talk about it. And I said, you ought to go to her and, and talk to her about what's going to happen. What do you think is going to happen when New York City, you know, it, it, it's doubling every three days now, they say. So soon you can't leave your apartment. She's a very fancy apartment. Soon you can't leave. Then you're going to get, she's 80-something years old. This soon you can't leave and then you're going to get sick and then at some walk it all the way out at some point you're going to be in an emergency room all your money won't save you and you're going to die and you're going to die alone none of your sons can come your husband can't come you're going to look into the face of a stranger and breathe your last breath and that's serious but that's also pretty i mean it might happen yeah, it's a possible, it's a possible outcome. Yeah. And, and it's a very interesting thing because it's the opposite of what, I love what David was saying in the beginning, it's, it's the opposite of what we naturally want to do in the culture, which is everything's going to be okay. And, yeah. and I've found that now that never works well for me either. I'd rather just look right. And I think back into a number of different things, but particularly my mother when I was younger and she was ill and just facing that she may never come home again. And, we may never know her as we did before she had her break, right? That kind of thing. There's a certain, when you get through that, you, there's a certain, when, like, when you can look into that, 
there's a certain, okay, I'm ready. It's okay that when I let go of the expectation of what I used to have, if I can really, and that helps by looking into what you just said, when I look into that, that, that parade of horribles all the way to the end of the parade, and I see what I ultimately don't want to see, and I make it through seeing that, there's something that comes up that's akin to uh, the confidence of being able to handle it and make the choice that I didn't think I could make prior to looking into it, right? Yeah. And I think that's what Kierkegaard meant when he said it's the disease that saves because it, it acclimatizes us to what the – better set your expectation to the worst-case scenario so, you know, and be ready that way. And everything becomes a surprise then rather than a disappointment and, and, and a contributor to greater fear and angst. So well, let me let me let me let me just add something to to what you're saying because you know to me to me it's about also it's about embracing despair which you know is not the COVID nineteen man we're all desperate no. you know and I and I don't talk about you guys let me talk about myself so, so you know I'm saying in life there's a side of our life that it's desperate you know and unless I embrace it I can't really affect it it's gonna sabotage me underground it's gonna do whatever it's gonna do but I'm not going to be able to manage it. So despair is... is no, Daphne, Daphne, let me ask you, let me ask you. Talk about, I'd like to hear, how, how come if you resist it, you won't be able to manage it? Well, think about it. If, it's like being religious. You know, you try to go on the good side of yourself and think that the other side is killed for good. Now, when you think of yourself that you're the best guy ever, you know, then there's yeah. the other guy down underneath that does whatever he wants, you know, and, and sabotages you. And then you have to hide because you have to confirm that you're a good guy. And so you become an hypocritical. Hypocrisy is the only way out, you know, because you're going to pretend that you're good, even when the, you know about your own despair, but you try to neglect it to yourself. And mainly you try to hide it from the other people. So yeah. what I'm saying here, you know, we could die now, even if not, about the coronavirus you know the coronavirus is just an event i could go outside and being killed in a moment or get an heart attack man we're on the verge of death every single moment of our life but you, you realize that yeah okay. you, you know i'm reading a, i just got done reading carl jung uh his topology topology on uh, uh dream reading dreams and understanding dreams and he po he posits something in there that's really interesting he says our unconscious self is always balancing our conscious self keeping us in some sense of balance or reality so when we overemphasize the something very light like when you go hyper religious and you're hyper spiritual and you're 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 now you're you're you've arrived at at the at the pinnacle of spiritual life unconsciously your your unconscious is going to balance it by bringing up all the stuff the dark side all the despair, all the lust, all the things that would be counter to that to balance it. And then, then you're troubled with why do I have these dreams? Because I'm so convinced that I've arrived at the place where I'm no longer corrupted. Or that, you know, it's, no, it's like, it's no, interesting. I have a, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, and he says the opposite too. If you think so, so like you, you posit yourself as such a bad guy, you're going to have dreams of, like maybe he talks about this atheist who hated God and hated everything, but he kept having these dreams about being a prophet and about God was pushing him and it was driving him crazy because he he didn't he said he didn't believe in God, but then why was he having these dreams, right? So 
in one of Dostoevsky's novels, actually, is what I read of them. Now, one, one of the things, one of the things I, I, I can say I use as a cure for that is to embrace my, the side of me I don't like, the side of me I hate, the for side sure. of me I want to hide. I mean, I, I love it. I care for it as much as the good side because they are both me. And so I got to so be hold, me and I got to embrace tell, Say what you mean, though. Well, how do you do that, Doug? <laughs> I want to hear. Dan, going, let him finish a thought. <laughs> <laughs> but he goes, you'll know, put three more thoughts on it. I want to hear what you mean. <laughs> no, by I know, that I know. I'm just joking with you. I love this. No, no, but thank you. Thank you, then, because you know me. You know, I just go into it, you know, and without it's context. So rich. So it. It's just so rich, David. Go. Yeah. Well, the context is, you know, the dark side, you know, I call it that way, you know, and uh, most of the people don't don't really like their own. I mean, uh, and, and probably rightfully so. To me, I love my dark side. Because, you know, I learned how to love myself in the worst things I do. And I know this not, might not be popular for most of people, but when I embrace it, I can manage it. When I re neglect it, it's never going to be manageable. It manages so you. the point is when. The point is, one of the things I do is a when, because, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a good moment for everything, you know, and, and there's a good moment for, uh, and, and, there's, and if I allow myself to be angry, for instance, you know, in the moment, the appropriate moment, that can be an asset. But if I get angry just to explode on people when it's inappropriate, that's a, that's a ruin for my relationships, you know. So I need to know, I need to know uh, a when, you know, I can, I can be, I can be uh, the part uh, that works best in that uh, situation. But, you know, my dark side, you know, I mean, I'm from Naples, you know, uh, I was born in Naples. So, you know, I, I have in me this thing, you know, about uh, trying to find ways around things. You know, we were talking before about rules. You know, one of the things that always amazed me in the United States is in the nighttime, you have to stop at the stop sign, come to a full stop and then go again when nobody's around. You know, that to me was like mind blowing. You know, like why do people stop anyway? You know, there's nobody around. So that's, that's kind of my nature. You know, I just do follow the rules when they're useful, you know, when the rules are counterproductive, then it's best not to follow them, you know, sometimes because, ah, you know, yes. they, they could be, they could be, they could be a ruin for you, for you, you know? So well, I, I want to take, I want to take personal responsibility. I want to be responsible for what I do. I want to be able to respond of every choice I make. So that's why I like to keep my person in integrity, which means the both sides together. You know, I, I'm one, you know, I'm one. I'm the same person when I lie and, and when I say the truth. But the point is, if I embrace both sides, I will feel less the need to lie and, and more the need to explain maybe that I don't want to do something. Like, you know, if I want to be good at all costs, I'm not going to tell you, well, I don't feel like being with you today. Now, you know what? I want to say I don't feel like being with you today. I don't want to be lying to you by saying I have something else to do because that would treat you with lack of respect. Funny enough, the most of respect comes from I don't want to be with you today. Well, that sounds ugly. That sounds not nice. Well, I'm not nice. I'm, I'm a person and, and I'm, I'm dark and I'm light. I'm everything together. But I want to be in integrity in relationship to people around me. Otherwise, otherwise I'm lying to them and I'm putting the premise for a superficial and, uh, uh, and hypocritical relationships. Talking about naked leadership, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when I'm yeah. on the when I'm on the the uh, trying to hide the other side, those are the times in my life that I recognized that I felt like I was living a double life, or uh, when the imposter syndrome was the strongest. 
um, is because I'm trying to hide this other side of myself as a leader. And it, it was interesting. Adrian sent us an article last night late and, and I just, it opened up so much possibility for me. It was a, it was a gentleman writing about how to behave or how to have a conversation with your clients at this time that is productive. Um, and that can save the relationship. And the very first step was to name the problem, name the despair that everybody is experiencing, that they're experiencing. Don't try to explain it away. Don't try to soften it. They will respect you more. They will connect with you more when you're willing to name the despair. And his words, I think, well, were, well, this is a shit show. Yeah. And he said, <laughs> did in fact, exaggerate it until they acknowledge it. And, if, yes. like, and then to use silence, like let the silence sit after you acknowledge it. Right. Right. And if they don't say anything, he says, it's probably even worse than I mentioned. You know, yep. right? You know, it's like like really connect with it. where Because we are tendencies to want to get off it instead of go into it. And to Davide, to your point, I've always found that if I resist that dark side of me, I become more criminal. Um, I actually get off purpose. I use the purpose of a vision more like a, like I use it like a pimp, a prostitute, right? Like I'm, I'm going to pretend I'm about this when what I'm really about is making myself look good. And at all costs, like I, I was the other day, I had a guy online tell me, you're probably terrified because you have a, an, an income to defend. And I said, Oh no, I've already given up on that. <laughs> And he goes, what do you mean? I said, oh, I thought a lot about this. The first thing I thought about, because the first thing I think about is my, me and my financial well-being. And, and if I don't die to that right away, I won't be able to be with my partner or my, you know, my partners in a way that's beneficial. I won't be able to be with our customers in a way. I'll be so concerned about what I'm going to get out of this. And I'm going to try to frame it in what, you know, what's good for the mission. And I won't really get to, I won't see, be creative about what's really going to be good for the mission. I'm mm -hmm. going to be pretty locked into that one agenda and I'm going to, I, I guess I don't know how you use that. I guess it's, you use it like a propaganda piece. The, now the vision is just a piece of propaganda to protect me and my own agenda. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think we see that a lot oftentimes in, our, in politicians and, and I think we see it in ourselves. I see it in myself early. So I want to be in touch with that. That's why I asked, like, and you went on to some of, your dark side, which is you're not a nice guy. You're kind of a troll, a little bit of a curmudgeon. <laughs> That's what I love about you. I don't understand English enough to understand that word. Troll? <laughs> curmudgeon, curmudgeon or troll? <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding you. Yeah, it came no, up for no. you yesterday on a... Oh, go ahead, Davide. No, no, you go ahead. You go I was ahead. just saying, it came up for you yesterday on a call. A client of mine was telling a story. And... Um, there was some heartache in the story. And as she was telling the story, um, she, she had, uh, I'm trying to protect her as I tell this, but um, the villain of the story, uh, shoot, I don't know how I can tell this. I can, this is great. Um, <laughs> so I'll just, I'll say, I'll say it from my, I'll just, so we'll say what connected to me. So what connected to me was, it, it, it connects exactly with this conversation. So if I'm, what I know for me, definitely in seasons of my life, if I'm spending a lot of my time trying to cover up and being ashamed of something in my own personal life, then what must occur is indifference to others. 
because there's a show because like my caring here's what was true mm-hmm. for me and in some regards my caring for others was to deal with my despair to deal with my shame so it wasn't it was a show to use your word Dan. like it was an it was a thing it was a projection it was a facade so actually when someone else is going through an authentic hard time i wasn't authentically with them because i was with them to cover up for my own despair yeah right and and this client was telling a story about two people that are close to her and one of them was really suffering and she thought the other one would care about that, but he was indifferent. And I thought in the moment, I thought, oh, he must have something he's covering up, which ended up 10 seconds later in the conversation, that was what was true. So his care for her was a show to, and whenever she was actually hurting uh, and you know on the brink of tragedy, he was indifferent because he had his own game that he was covering up. Yeah. So indifference, I'm, my point is, uh, you know, if we're here, part of the, for me, the purpose of the, of the Naked Leadership Podcast is to give language for what some of the hidden struggles are for leaders. And to so get really- If you find yourself, I have found myself authentically indifferent to what's going on and kind of playing the game of leadership to cover up my own insecurities. Um, that might be, if, I, if you find yourself indifferent, might be a time to look in the mirror and say, hey, I wonder why I'm so disconnected. Yeah, yeah, the disconnect shows up in a lot of ways. Like, for instance, well, I don't want to talk to them about this now because I don't want to worry them. Yes. Who is it you really don't want to worry? <laughs> right. You don't want to talk about it because you don't want to worry you because you don't have an answer. And unless you have an answer, you don't talk about it. So you don't get to hear what you need to hear, what you need to say that you don't even know you need to say. You know. And I had this client yesterday. She said, well, how do you know? How do you go find, where do you find what you don't know you don't know? I thought that was a great question. I was like, that's a great question. And, my, and it just came out of my mouth without even thinking. I just said, well, you question what you know, because what you know hides you from what you don't know you don't know. So why not? And that's where I get most edgy when, I, when you or anybody asks me to look at what I think I know. I really get, I get contemptuous because looking into what I know and questioning what I know could reveal something I don't know, which could expose something I'm ashamed of, which causes me, I go, why do I feel contempt when Adrian or Davide, Davide, you used to do it with me all the time in the training department. And I used to love it because it would cause me to look into things that I thought I already knew and I was moving on from, you know, I was like moving on, like standing on them. And Davide would say, how do you know it's that way? wait a minute i already checked that box (laughs) and then looking in there you see oh maybe it isn't that way right it's so complex yeah maybe 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 it was that way in the past but you know the point here is is to be able to see what what matters to us sometimes is that we are confirming what we know to me since i've been in the crisis or in the change for so long what matters to me really is what worked best so if I'm saying something, you, you demonstrate to me that I'm saying something stupid, I'm so grateful to you because I don't want to say something stupid because I want, to, I want to be effective in what I say. I care more about being effective than about being right. And I've always cared about being effective more than being right. That's why I'm always wrong with people. You know, I like to be wrong. You know, I like to be uh, questioned. I like to be uh, put to test. Because the more I test myself, the more I become effective in what I do. And, and you know, I, I remember, you know, in the training, 
times, you know, with you, Dan, we were coming to a place where we had a, a beautiful breakthrough, and then people wanted to keep that place safe, like like preserve that place and pretend yeah. nothing was happening afterwards. That was the most beautiful moment to me, anthropologically, because I can see human beings trying to protect what they've done, while in fact, if they keep protecting it, they're going to lose it for good. So the yeah. point is, get something and let it go, because otherwise you're going to protect something irrelevant. Well, it, it needs to die. I remember when I, it took me four years to walk away from my ministry, but I, I knew in the four years before I did, I ought to have, and out of a romantic sensation, tried to live up to something I wasn't. It was the most inauthentic four years of my life, but I learned a ton from it. You know, I just didn't want now, to look one into thing the I fact that I was done. Huh? One thing I like to say about uh, businesses today, you know, when you when you were talking about the fact that uh, they some families will end up without a job. Now, we need to look at that in a, in a, in, a, in, an inter in a way that uh, we understand we are not God. There's one there's one God probably, and we are not Him. You know, and the point is, <laughs> that, uh, basically. Uh, if I uh, or her or, or, or them, you know, uh, I, I believe I believe more uh, that uh, we have to look at what we can do, not extend ourselves beyond what we can extend ourselves. Otherwise, we're going to end up in the hole with everybody else. You know, there must be a consideration of how far can I go taking care of everybody. And then I have to leave some money. Some people are regenerating themselves into doing something totally different these days, you know. And it's a matter of a when, because if I do it too late, I'm not going to be able to regenerate myself. You know, if I stay there with the hope, you know, and try to support everybody around because I feel responsible for other people, then I can end up, you know, uh, a dilettantistic God. That's what, uh, what Oswald Chambers used to say in the 23rd of March, you know, a you know, kind of trying to preserve others from their despair, from their own personal responsibility. So I believe, you know, in some ways, you know, it's important to be able to understand our limits in this context and not go beyond those limits just in the hope, you know, that we will take care of everybody. Because then some people... Some people tend to be delirious in these moments, you know, and, uh, and, and that, that's not very helpful, you know. Uh, and so I believe, you know, what do you mean? What do you mean? Is, Davide, tell, tell me what you mean. I, I, was, I was talking with a friend, you know, he said, you know, I don't want to send people home. You know, I don't want to, I, I have 30 families that work for me and I don't want to send them home. And I said, that's a very honorable thing, you know, but how long can you go, you know, until you can do that, you know? And he said, I don't know. I'm just going to keep going. I said, no, you must to know when it's time to, to, to pull the plug, because otherwise you're gonna fall in, in with them, you know? And, and at the end of the day, you're, gonna not, you're well, not gonna help your family or yourself anymore. Or them, or, or them. Or them, or them. Yeah, because I know that's consideration for every owner. It's like, at what point do we pull the ripcord? Because, you know, it, um, even if you don't and you all go down, you still go down. So giving people an idea of the process and how far it's going to be that you're willing to go and at what point is right. it over allows them to know what's really going on and be shoulder to shoulder with you rather than saying we're going to take care of you and then one day you come in and go oops sorry nothing left can't take care of ourselves either see ya because because that becomes a betrayal on top of the despair because I told you I was going to take care of you. And then all of a sudden I pulled the plug and, and you were counting on me, you know? So that yeah, so also you, becomes real conversation. So what I hear you saying is, just to put it in a nutshell, look, don't go beyond what you, don't act like you can do what you can't do. <laughs> Basically what's impossible or 
don't act like you can control circumstances when you can't. If you say I'm gonna, we're gonna take care of you the whole time, when you don't even you don't know where this is going, it could completely devastate you. I know in the movie business, my family's in the movie business, and you know they're talking about some. You know, I, I know that some representative that Congress came out and said, look, you, you don't pass a stimulus package, we're going bankrupt. This thing's over. You know, it's gonna be a redistrib, a whole new market. Things are gonna to have to because we can't survive. Just re realistically, right? Said so this is, let us know, <laughs> please. So, you no know, wanting to know where are we headed, you know, what, what is up, if that's not going to happen, okay, good, then we know what we're dealing with. Yeah. See, if I, do, if I don't, if I cannot know where it's going to go and I, how it's going to end, I need to look at myself and my potential and be realistic about it, even with the people around me. Otherwise, I'm betraying myself, I'm betraying them just to play God. I mean, nobody can play God in this game, you know, you, you, we're not going to be able to be God. I mean, if you are... Let me know how, and I'll follow well, you for the rest of my life. And I think, I think a lot of people, this is where people look to government for what they themselves must answer. Because I'm not disappointed. I'm not, I'm not looking the government to save me. I'm great if they can send something, so on. But if I, if I rest my life on that, if I put hope, if you will, on that, I'm just setting myself up for a bigger devastation. Why not just say, hey, great, that's great, whatever I get's great, and I'm going to play the worst scenario out. I'm going to look this thing into the worst scenario and then order my life accordingly. And then, and not like, I don't mean that in a morbid way, I just mean that in a realistic, like, let's get real about what could possibly happen here. And that goes right to death, like, you know. Yeah, it's, a, it's an invitation yeah. into the process for me. I, I experienced this firsthand with a coach, one of my coaching clients that I was in a conversation with, and he he worked, he was a leader for a small university and um, worked in the media department. And um, he, as all of this was going down before they had released all the students from the, from the campus and everything like that, his management came to him and said, Hey, nobody worry. We've got this handled. We've got it taken care of. We just want to make sure you know that we're, we've, we're, we're okay. We're good. And um, not two days later, he got pulled in and was let go uh, because of the crisis. They, in that time, they had to let all this, they had to release all the students from the campus. They had, you know, all of these things that were outside of, I mean, they were decisions they made, but they, their hand was forced in making these decisions um, to keep everybody safe and for, for what needed to be done. And I asked him and I, I said, how are you doing? What, how do you, how, where are you at? He said, I feel betrayed. <laughs> And I thought, and, and to me, as that makes sense. It makes sense. They didn't allow you as somebody that they quote unquote value into the process, into the to, to the actual. As you're talking about Davide, like into the actual despair of the situation, and 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 respect you enough to be there with you. Um, you know, we talk a lot about in our work. We talk a lot about um, a dualistic mindset it's either or and i'm wondering as we have this conversation i'm getting a sense of you either are connected to the despair or you have hope and i'm wondering is there is there a place is there a way of being where we can be connected and and in the despair but also experience hope in the situation well can i say something to that uh chad please well one thing 
one thing I believe, I, uh, we have to define what we mean by hope. You know, if hope has to do with tomorrow, I don't know if I want to be associated with hope. I believe, I believe that um, if, if we, see, to me, despair is a good tool to bring us to the here and now, to the moment, you know. And, and see, the more I live in the moment, the more I can be effective with what I do. Even on the Titanic, that woman was effective because, because she was present to the problem and she was ready to face the problem. She wasn't hoping anything. She was doing everything she could. <laughs> right. well, I mean, the difference, you know, because if I hope uh, in a general sense, you know, hope is like, you know, counting on... Uh, on somebody else or something or the events or you know circumstances uh, not do something you know take responsibility of your own condition you know like here in the lockdown i'm uh, i'm taking responsibility of my condition i'm i'm clustering my day in different uh, phases i'm working i'm doing things i'm 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 giving value to it i know there's no value in it i know it's a, it's a crazy situation i know it's a frustrating situation i know all that but I'm choosing to give value to it. If you call that hope, I'm full of hope. But I don't think it is because, you know, I believe hope is tomorrow and right. I'm living today. Well, you know, there's an interesting dynamic here. I remember when the early days of the trainings, when we were, I worked at LifeSpring, we used to say there is no hope, right? Because it meant in regards to putting any kind of possibility outside of myself, that the possibility lives in me and how I stand mm. in the moment. So in that way, yes, possibility brings hope hope or a sense of possibility, right? Then where you move into the situation. And um, they used to, we used to say, hope is a medical ship and it sank, right? <laughs> kind of true, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about... <laughs> go ahead, Dan. No, go ahead. Hey, no. go. Shoot. I'm, just, I'm, I'm thinking about how these ideas connect. And... <clears throat> Especially the, you know, if, if we, as a leader, if we posture ourselves as almighty, what it actually does, we think gift our people, but what it actually does to our people. Um, and to connect these ideas, because if, uh, in, in some ways, being hopeful in that way is stealing the opportunity for them to make a difference, right? Because you're telling them, I've got it, you can't have it because I've got it. And if I've got it, then you just need to sit there and wait because I'm taking care of things. And you sitting there and waiting is the definition of powerlessness. There's nothing you can do. I'm not inviting you to do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. Please don't because I've got it. And, and there's a, you know, and you're stealing. You're stealing from them because, I mean, we, we were talking about yesterday with Ali. I was making a joke with Ali. Which we, were, we were talking about boredom, right, and this sense of boredom that can come over people when they're sequestered. Um, and, and I just, I said to her jokingly, but not jokingly saying, I think you're having a chronic, a chronic case of purposelessness, <laughs> which is like, you know, I mean, cause for me, I'm bored when I haven't decided what's more important than my boredom. Yeah. yeah it's I'm, like, not yeah. My, I'm not putting myself to anything. So if I'm not putting myself to anything, uh, of course, boredom is going to set in because I've decided there's nothing to give myself to. And that's, I think, what we do in this that's connected to this dynamic of like, if I'm waiting for someone else, then I've just told myself there's nothing for me to do, but there's an experience in that, and it's a getting smaller of that. Oh, that's and, good. The well, you backed up, you got smaller. Like that? Like that, Dan? <laughs> 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 now, Adrian, Adrian, 
Uh, this is something to what you said before that I think is uh, it's something I'm struggling with a lot of leaders, you know, in the world. And, uh, and I'm talking about, you know, even uh, the quote from Einstein, you know, the, the universe, the, I don't know if the universe has a limit, but the human, the human stupidity it doesn't have a limit or something like that. I don't remember. But the point is that a lot of leadership, a lot of leaders, you know, have a judgment on their people that they cannot make it by themselves. And yeah. that judgment... It doesn't allow them to to draw the potential out of people that follow them. So if, if I think people are stupid, which you know maybe you obviously we don't, but you know, if generally speaking, you know the government thinks that. Otherwise, they wouldn't think for us. You know, ah. but most of the leadership everywhere thinks that. Otherwise, they wouldn't think for us. So the point is, at that point in time, the leadership treats people as helpless or people that cannot take care of themselves. That's why they have the right to go and take care of them. But that's a baloney. That's, that's really that's a baloney. upside down. I think it is, it is, um, it is, it is lacking total, total lack of um, respect, first of all. And, and, and basically, I believe to be able to be free, people need to go outside of what the leadership is trying to make them do. So this is yeah. kind of it's it's kind of a, a, a catch twenty two. Like you, you don't know what what to do, but the point is, I believe in personal responsibility as a leader, and I believe in personal responsibility as a follower. I believe what I hear has to be processed by me, and I have to decide what to do with it. And, yeah. and I can hear anything, but I have to decide what to do. And and you know, as a leader, I want my followers to do exactly the same thing. Because I don't want them to blame me afterwards. Because all the people that are being taught for by the government pretty soon will blame the government for choices that are not good. But so, so what? Yeah. So everybody takes the same position about blaming each other and, and we're sinking down while we're, well, we know who's to blame for it, you know? Right. Well, think about it. If, you know, that's, we have a saying that a person with a vision or purpose cannot be held hostage by a circumstance. So if I have a purpose that's internal, that's generated, I take responsibility for why I'm here and what I, why I'm up to what I'm doing, right? I, I generate that. And any kind of leadership, this is, this is, I think, we talk about leadership now as a phenomenon that occurs out of a relationship with people. And that we know, kind of presuppose, that I'm not going to be the only one leading. Adrian's going to lead. Chad's going to lead. They, the lead's going to exchange as people see their as their purpose becomes more important to what we're doing than the other, right? And that's a very different view of leadership. Whereas I think you nailed it. I think the the what they call the amoeba form of leadership or the top down, where it, it's through stimulus. Like my job's to move people, so they should they should have my vision versus they ought to have their own vision. And if it aligns with what our vision is, and it's and they're served by the, the group vision and they can serve the group vision by contributing their vision, then you've got, now you've got alignment and people can take responsibility all the way down. And that means there will be a time when they may want to go off on their own. How can we support them because they've been willing to be an asset to what we're doing? How can they be supported to go off and do what they do? Yeah. But that, I mean, because people are, you know, Adrian and I have had this talk many times. If, if I may just say one phrase and then I'll let you talk, you know, one thing, one thing is, you know, betray doesn't exist when we are together for the common purpose. Betray exists only when we're, somebody's pretending to be with us with the same purpose. But, you know, if we are together with the same purpose, there's no betray possible because we are aligned on the purpose, not on the premise that uh, one has to do what the other says. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge distinction. Um, and I've been talking to all my clients around this conversation about what's the advantage of COVID. Like what, what, what's the gift that's here? Like, uh, and, and one of the things that comes up and I just shot a video yesterday, just talking to the camera as I'm out for a walk. Uh, I think one of the, one of the huge opportunities is to practice presence with people. And it comes up, at least in this context, specifically, as you're talking about, Dan, I think about that because, because of this dynamic. I don't, most of us don't want to slow down and really find out where somebody else is. Mm -hmm. Because there's fear that they might be farther from me than I would prefer them to be. So I'd rather not know how far away or how much they're struggling or how much they don't like me or how much they're disconnected from the vision, whatever it is. I actually don't want to know. So I do these fake conversations, check-in conversations. Most people call them, oh, it's just a check-in call. We'll go around and tell some kind of, you know, socially acceptable version of reality. And then everybody nods and acts like we got connected. And I'm being a little cynical, but it might actually be exactly true. Who knows? Um, in, in the moment. Uh, you know, we go around and do the thing. But we don't actually ask the conversation, well, how are people really? Like, who's really struggling? What don't, what don't we want to talk about? What are the actual things here? Who's, who's getting ready to leave the organization? Yeah. And and what's under the what's under the table there, Adrian, is what we were talking about before. If you're a leader who thinks you're responsible for the happiness and the commitment of your people, then what that means is if you really connect and you find that they're not as close to you as you would like them to be, that is a ref you see that as a reflection on you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, versus as a leader. Yeah. Right. This yeah. is what's wanted. Yeah, needed. That's Vision. right. You know, there's a. There's a. Yeah, go ahead. Normally, we're called in, I'm called in a lot of times to really conflicted situations where, you know, it could be a change, there's a big change going on, or there's a, rec there, there's a new initiative being set up, etc. And there's a lot of stress going on. And I'll ask the leader, tell me, how many people do you think are about to, to exit? And if they can't tell, if they say, oh, nobody, I know, mm, probably not true, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just haven't seen it, you don't want to see it. But you know, they've probably given you signs and you don't want to see it because it's too much more of a, it's like one more, you know, log on the pile. But, but what if those were the beginning points for shoring up your team? Like getting that conversation on the table and, and, and that's how this stuff shows up. It's a form of denial that later on, you, you know, it's the old shit hors d'oeuvre metaphor, you know, yeah. you get when it's an hors d'oeuvre before yeah. it's an eight course meal. What, what? One thing that I learned, even in the training, but I probably it was in my nature also, you know, is that to be relevant, we have to talk about what, we, what nobody wants to talk about. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really the way to be relevant in a conversation. You know, where you don't want to go, that's, the that's where the treasure is. Yeah. So, you know, where people don't want to go, that's exactly where we have to go because the treasure is right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the, the cave you don't want to go into, that's where the treasure is. And the old you know, alchemy, do the thing you least want to do and you'll get, you'll get a lot done. Yeah. And if you're a leader and you're listening to this, I wonder, even if you just want to take on a challenge mm. um, and, you've already, and you haven't decided that there's too many challenges for today and you're just going to survive, the <laughs> one question might be to ask people, like each of your people, or just to say, hey, you might, you might want to leave the company. You might be dusting off your resume. And if that's a conversation for you, I'd love to have it with you. Yeah. Just that you'll honor where they are. And if they're close to you, they won't be offended. They'll actually care 
Oh, it's but through their head at some point, I'm guessing. Everybody is looking for a lifeboat right now um, and wondering about and trying to escape reality via fantasy. Like, oh, I wish I had a different job. I wish, you know, all the, uh, one, one of the, the challenges, revelations maybe just of, of uh, remote work is that if I didn't like Tom before, I, and I avoided him when he was in the when he was in the office next to me. I'm really gonna avoid him when he's way you know three miles oh, away. No. And I'm gonna blame it on the technology or emails. I don't like communicating this way, or you know now it's too complex, or now my kids are around me and I just don't have time. But it's really gonna really fully reveal how much I don't want to work with this person. And you know in that context. You know, people can will be splint it, it probably subconsciously splint, splintering or consciously be splintering even more and to be able to put language to it will pull will at least reveal where people are so if you were up for a challenge i'd explore that uh, and knowing you. and then knowing where they are then you can begin working authentically towards where you want to be which is no. really the key i mean if you can't locate where you are you're screwing all the way down the line so right and let me add, let me add one thing to what you said, Adrian. That is powerful because you know when you drop uh, some like that, silence afterwards is one of the most beautiful thing to do because you know that adds gravitas to what you're saying and allows the other person to pick it up the way they want to pick it up, rather than you trying to tame down the effect of what you just said. Sometimes people say something of a big effect and then they try to tame it down afterwards. You know, no, silence is the best afterwards after that type of statement you just stand still Question. and then start to talk based on what the other person is bringing to you whatever is the reaction there is where you have to start the conversation afterwards and it's a so powerful thing to do man it's unbelievable people come to the plate people take responsibility when they do when they're faced with responsibility i believe in humankind i believe we are we are resilient and i believe we can be much more than we can only if we accept the fact that we are fragile it's an yeah. oxymoron, but it's a beautiful oxymoron, you know, because I, everybody qualifies because we're all fragile. Yep. So we can all be powerful in our fragility. You know? Yeah, it's a paradoxical, but, it, you know, if you take it down out of the, you know, we're pretty philosophical and you just bring it right down to like we've been doing right down to the, like, just think about how many people do not want to hear no in a, in, when they make a request of somebody on their team or in a sale. or It's like everything's organized to avoid the no. And what I hear Adrian saying is, no, man, let's get to the no. Let's hear the no as fast as we can. Yeah. Because the minute somebody says no, there's a number of things that happen. If I can receive the no, then I've communicated that wherever you're at, without saying it, is okay. It's like now there's trust. that I know. If you want trust, get to the no, embrace the no. And not only that, if I can do that, the mood opens up. Now there's trust. I can learn more about what the no will teach me what I'm not hearing if I can look into it. But most people are so, I noticed, just terrified to hear no. So the, have you ever done this? Where I found myself doing it where I'm positioning myself to make sure I don't hear no. I'm asking questions that make, I want to hear yes, 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 yes. And then it becomes more and more painful and awkward in the relationship without even saying anything. And I feel like I can feel it. And I know, ah, oh, this isn't going to work. I'm yeah. not going to even ask this. Well, it, hits, it hits me, man, right just now uh, polished up my second version of this article I'm writing. And the title of it is Don't Waste This Crisis. And, and 
the thing that comes up for me is like the crisis itself is an opening for a bunch of conversations, right? Because we are literally disconnected via the crisis right now at some level, even circumstantially we're disconnected. So now we can actually explore the actual disconnection that might've been there already. We can use the crisis to explore the disconnection. It's like a big, I don't know, I use, always use a blocking back. It's like the first one through the hole to make sure you get like, so this leverage, um, there's a part of the context now that's shifted and we can utilize the shift in the context to have the conversations you know you've been wanting to have, maybe been scared to have, uh, there's too much at risk. You know, it's like most people don't want to know the disconnection because they haven't yet built the muscles in the organization to find reconnection after disconnection. So therefore they are fragile instead of anti-fragile. So like if we can't, as a team, we can't be disconnected on purpose. We can't, and therefore we can't have innovation because you have to leave what we've said is great or challenge a previous idea or challenge the person that comes up with a great idea all the time because we're actually all really sensitive and you know around our ideas these are opportunities that are now present like it's it is here and we can leverage these moments and blame it on the crisis if you want you know ah well sorry but you know you've got a lot of room <laughs> now you have like a like a like a card like a you get to get out of jail free. You know, we yeah. didn't talk about this before, but because of the crisis, I need to no. tell you, you're fired. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, Adrian, as you're talking, I, what keeps coming up for me is that um, possibly up until now, most of us have used proximity yeah. as a substitute for connection. Yeah. It's, uh, mean, it's like meaning, a for connection. Yeah. yeah, meaning as a leader, when you're all close to each other in the same building you can pop around and you can make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing and and, you, and everybody has their style right everybody has their hey how's it going just and, but what we're really doing is we're trying to stay connected to where they are or at least the tool that we're making them out to be yeah that we're getting the most out of the tool yeah but now there's this new way of operating there's this new opportunity to connect to make sure that we are seeing each other and hearing each other rather and and using that uh lack of proximity is is a wonderful opportunity and a wonderful advantage to connect with our people Out, yeah outside of being a tool but i just thought maybe we should rename the, the podcast to tool time <laughs> <laughs> how to no, turn but, your people you know, into tools yeah the, but th th thinking about it, you know, that um, this conversation is coming out of the crisis, you know, and, and, uh, and the conversation tomorrow will come out of the crisis. You know, I, some of the people that they will be on the, on the call tomorrow, I don't even know personally yet, you know, and, and it's unbelievable how many people I'm connecting with thanks to COVID-19. Yeah. So to me, in these days, you know, my network is expanding thanks to COVID-19 and thanks to the fact that I'm in Italy, the worst place. I don't think about that. You know, it's very interesting, you know, because now I'm in the peak of the crisis, you know, worldwide. And that is the most beautiful opportunity to connect people and create network and create strength around the globe. And I think, I think without COVID-19, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a conversation just to connect all, all this too, that's, there's something that's been revealed in one of my clients. And uh, what it is, is that, that, that the power structure, like the lack 
Like there's a, it's, it seems like the, the whole system is more flat now. So the, there's the power structure has been broken down. And now in this one company we're working with a person three levels down is in order to complete on the mission, they must now request these, these five people to come and get to work. And that's an opportunity that that person wasn't faced with before. Right. So now what's required of him, this person, three levels, these five levels down from the CEO is now he's tasked for the first time ever in his time at this company to request people to leave the safety of their own homes to come and get this work done. And he's frightened by it, obviously. I mean, now it's all that what's required now is more courage um, in order to get it done. Uh, you know, there's at different levels of the organization. They must now have more courage to make requests that they didn't have to make before because of the proximity. Yeah. And, you know, putting language to that, you know, if you're operating a team, because that's probably what, I mean, some of the resistance and probably some of the complaining about how hard it is to work remotely, quote unquote, is because what's being called from them is to have more courage in their communication that they haven't had to face their cowardice before. They wouldn't have okay. been called it that. And you're really, what you're talking about, though, to get to that place, you got to make even a step backwards, which is you've really got to take some time and be mindful about your own conversation, or you won't be able to design invitations. Like, you think about planning a conversation. Most, I don't, I, it's, that's a foreign thing to most of the execs I work with. Like, they, they okay, i got to have this conversation. And to really think about what do I want to accomplish in this conversation, where might they be, what 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 is the real issue that we're talking about? How do I you know like what what's the best way to get them connected? How can I take responsibility for where I'm at? What's at stake if we don't have this conversation? There's so much to think about, and I and, and it's not a like a lot of thinking, but how often when you go in and it's a question to ask yourself. I've been asking myself, how much have I really thought about the conversation I'm going into and what I want to get done, and. Uh, you're really good at this, Adrian. I love sitting with you about it because you think about who's there, what do you want to get done. You're very disciplined in that. And that, that's been very helpful for me because I'll tend to want to just have the conversation, which is part of my side. You know, it's like I like to be on my feet, yeah. right? But if you, if you even – the point is not that you wouldn't be on your feet, but be on your feet within a context that you've really yeah. thought about and with a destination in mind. Like, you know, like where, am I, where are we going we might take a might take a different a bunch of different routes, but where are we going to end up? What do, where do I want to end up in this conversation with you? Yeah. So it's, and I think so for it me, takes, you got to step back in that, right? Yeah. Because I think you just go if you just get out there and start doing it, pay a lot of prices. What most folks do, at least, so here's how it occurs for me. What most folks do is they program the conversation instead of like grounding the conversation. So program it like, I'm going to say this, then he's going to say this, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and this is going to happen. Like they, they already write the script for it in their own head based on their best case scenario. And it's they're the only person in the play. Everybody else has a silent part, essentially, as they're writing that script. And then, uh, and then that, you know, that doesn't happen, of course. Uh, or they, all they do is manipulate to make it happen. And then they act like they had a conversation. So either it blows up or they think they, they actually got something worse, which is they think they had the conversation, but they never connected with the other party. And so the conversation didn't even happen between the two people. They were just having a conversation with themselves and over manipulating and then nothing actually happens. Instead of grounding 
the conversation, which is language we'd use, which is get clear about what outcomes, what, what, is the, what is the ultimate outcome of this? Why am I having it? What concerns were there for me that want me to have it based on even my occurrence? And I could be off about that, but here's what's occurring for me and here's what's happening for me. Here's what's at stake in the conversation if we don't get through these obstacles, but here's only my view of the obstacles. And now I'm going to go in to get their view, even if we're aligned around what's actually happening. And then, and then I want to partner with them no matter what, like soft on the problem, uh, soft on the person, hard on the problem. Let's be hard on this problem and let's get a clear view of the problem, 360 view of it and see if we're even aligned around that. Because if we're not aligned around that, we can't even get anywhere because we don't have a clear sense and aligned view of current reality. If we do that, then I can be partnered with this person that I probably called the problem before because there was a problem and it was Tom. I always pick on guys named Tom. I don't know why. Tom, Tom's doing this. And I actually think Tom is the problem instead of the this is the problem. Like the behavior, the outcomes of Tom is the problem. But I can partner with Tom if he and I agree on the challenges that are coming if we keep this behavior alive. So I can partner with Tom and then get to that destination. And that would like I want to think about those things beforehand because that's not what my spacesuit is up to. I'm here to be right and make Tom wrong and have an agenda and be efficient. And I want to have an efficient conversation and having instead of having an effective one. So that's like the grounding before that. If when I'm of sound mind, I'll do that type of thinking, and we do that all the time in our coaching calls with people, helping people think about how they're thinking about things, so that if there's shifts needed they come into the conversation much more resourcefully and open and engaged and inviting instead of how most people do it really programmed and small and really tight. Like the conversation has to happen on a, on a tight wire. And if any wind comes, they're screwed instead of like, Oh no, no, this tight wires two inches off the ground. If we fall, no problem. We're going to get back up and keep walking this road. Yeah. Well, one thing, one thing, one thing uh, for me, in that context is that uh, I like to control what I, what I can control and not to control what I cannot control. You know, when I, when I tend to control what the other part is going to do, I'm shrinking the possibility to the ones I can, I can see. Now, to me, to be able, you know, in the conversation, it's more like, you know, whatever we end up, the destination will map my contribution. So in some, in some cases, you know, has been great that people counter what I have to say because they made my next intervention much more relevant than the one before. That's so, right. you know, actually the interruption on the other side is what feeds the value of the conversation. If yeah. I'm free, embrace whatever comes up. Because see, the problem sometimes leaders are not free to embrace whatever comes up. Unless things go their way, they won't play the game. But actually, the game becomes much more valuable if you embrace whatever it is, and from there, you go to your destination. Basically, you control your contribution, rather than everybody's contribution. I love it because the, usually the conversation becomes much bigger. I can even make it in my mind. Yeah, great. Yeah, this is, uh, there's a lot here. <laughs> hey, hey, I just want to, I just want to, uh, let everybody know we had an outline when we started this call. Where did that go? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I had rehearsed in my head how this conversation was supposed to go and you guys did not play along. Messing with your outline. <laughs> count, count on me for that. Anytime. No, this, is, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, Davide, thank you for joining us from Italy and, and taking the time and being generous. And um, 
my heart and love to you and, and stay safe. And, um, I hope you'll join us again. This has been awesome. It has been a great pleasure for me. I mean, seeing you guys and in this conversation, it's beautiful. I mean, it feels like we're together somewhere, you know, yeah. uh, not just online. So thank you. Thank you very much for, for this conversation. I appreciate it. I appreciate it all. It's like juicy, very juicy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for your heart and expertise, man. Really fun to, to have a conversation with you. And Davide, thank you. I, I'm looking forward to tomorrow uh, and meeting all the different people that will be on that call. We're going to be doing a live call. And the chat will probably talk about that uh, before we get off here. But always appreciate your insights, Davide, and your partnership. Love you to death. Yeah, so those are, uh, we keep referring to this call, and um, I'll be careful here just because this podcast will last for a long time, but I won't spend much time on it. But today is March 25th. We're recording and broadcasting this podcast episode live on Facebook. Um, so those of you who are watching that um, on Dan's Facebook page tomorrow, we will be broadcasting a call uh, with representatives from all over the world talking specifically about the impact of. Uh, COVID-19 on them and their area. Um, and uh, Davide has been essential and principal in organizing that. And it's going to be an interesting conversation. There's 12 representatives from different countries of, from all over the world, a lot of different perspectives. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody will get an opportunity to just share what they're, what they're experiencing, which will be a pretty interesting experience indeed for all of us to watch. So if you're listening to this live right now, join us on that on Dan's page. Um, and, you know, possibly we can even get people's permission to, if it seems appropriate and the content's right, we can post that on our podcast as well. So uh, thanks so much, gentlemen. Thank you, Chad. Really enjoyed it. Pleasure. Thank you. Ciao, Davide. Ciao, ciao, ragazzi. Ciao, man. Stay safe. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. If you want to connect with Davide, I'm going to link to his LinkedIn page and Facebook page in the description below. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you in any way, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review that will help us reach more people. Finally, the greatest compliment you can give us is sharing this podcast with the leaders in your life. Join us next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. Bye, everybody.